Hello and welcome to Building Your T-Shirt Empire. My name's Cole and today we have a very special guest. Um, as always, Gavin is here with me. Gavin, say hello to the people. What's up, everybody? It's Gavin here, founder of SEPS. Glad to be here. So we have a very exciting guest. It's Jeremy from Bayside. He's one of their lead sales managers. Um, Jeremy, tell me a little bit about what you do inside of Bayside and what Bayside's up to lately. Yeah, so basically I, I, I joined Bayside, what? almost a year ago from Halloween of last year. Um, I help lead sales more of like strategic accounts, high retails, um, large screen printers, big pro big volume programs. Um, we do a lot of things, man, to be honest. Yeah. We're, the, we're the largest vertical manufacturer in the States. We, we do a lot of strictly just strictly just USA where we get the cons from the Carolinas, knit die cut mm -hmm. so in Southern California. And so we have a nice little niche, if you want to call it that, um, that's really kind of unique versus what a lot of other people do as far as imports. So it's a uh, it's unique, unique spot to be in to uh, supply USA garment in such a, an environment. So it's cool. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Like I, I remember I did a small factory tour over there. Yeah. And it seems like you guys work on a lot of stuff that you can't necessarily say you work on. Uh, yeah. Do you have a lot of you have a lot of like private white label contracts, right? Yeah, we do a lot of private label because people turn to us literally because we own all of our factories, right? Yeah. So the, given that we're able to be nimble and kind of create a more unique a unique item versus just, hey, you know what? We're kind of limited to these five, six silhouettes. Like people come to us with the most interesting ideas. But guess what? They all check the boxes. It works in their own world. So yeah. it just kind of reminds you how unique our industry is. Like you might think like, why would you want a 16 ounce, like super dry, starchy sweatshirt? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, what we're selling for $1,200. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and we sell like 20,000 pieces of those things, right? We're like, okay, if you want like, it, we'll make it. The price will go up a little. Yeah. So um, we do. Yeah. And then in short, we do a lot of custom private label. And uh, yeah, we do. We do a lot of it. Yeah. Very cool. So, like, is there one crazy brand that you're proud of of working with that you can actually name drop? Or you're like, we do everything. Okay, I, it's funny coming into here. I'm, I was almost like, am I allowed or should I like name drop be that guy? Because quite honestly, we do we quietly manufacture for a lot of big brands, yeah. just supplying them t-shirts or sweatshirts or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. I will say for a decade prior to me coming on board, there was this very large, prominent New York streetwear brand that probably everybody knows that we were supplying the t-shirts for quite some time until they got acquired a few times by other VFs or... Let me take whatever. a guess. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> and it was a made in USA shirt. Yeah. So that was probably the biggest one as far as like, put it on the moniker, like, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, I was kind of caught off guard when I learned we did that. So it was cool. So you're the source for bootleggers too. <laughs> <laughs> if we need to really, if we need to blow up eBay, we know who to call. Well, the funny thing is that shirt is actually just like a stock item we carry. Oh yeah. So anybody has access to that shirt, but it was just like the nominated garment that they wanted to use at the time. And yeah. it, it's still our tried and true shirt today. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because your guys' branding, I mean, and not being critical or anything, yeah. but like your branding is so conservative, straight laced. Yeah. Like, unions and firefighters and like yeah. that's the kind of brand that you get out of like the bayside image yeah and then you find out that you guys are like the source for like a bunch of rappers or whatever yeah it's, it's yeah. crazy to see what you really service yeah versus what you present to the rest of the like industry no i you know it's funny when i joined and i would be walking by the office kind of get acclimated to the situation I'd see these random peels on people's mm -hmm. desks and stuff. And I'm like, we, we supply those guys. What? Yeah, like, right. what? Like, yeah, we just, 
everybody's so nonchalant over there. That's kind of the, just how they want to carry themselves. They want to be the behind the scenes guy, right? They yeah. don't want to be forward facing, but quietly we're, we're pretty big. Like yeah. <laughs> overall, like literally footprint, we're almost at a million square feet between Jeez. all of our factories and our main headquarters. You've been to Embraer. Yeah. Uh, that one in particular, sits on about seven acres. Um, so we're quietly big and we, we do a lot of cool things, yeah. but you're right. Like on the outside looking in, you're kind of like, Oh, you guys make like safety, safety vests and 3M tape right. and a giant sweatshirt. But yeah, we do a lot of cool things. So are you guys still privately owned or is there a, like a corporate ownership now? No, private family owned. Wow. Four brothers started it. Jeez. Almost three decades, 28 years now. It's crazy um, how that, how this industry seems to be like one of those industries where like you can somehow build up a billion dollar company. Yeah. Because uh, that's basically the next level story, the Bella story, yeah. the guys' story. It, uh -huh. Most industries don't do that. They get acquired so quickly. Yeah. And this industry just doesn't move into like buyouts, I guess. Yeah. You know, the previous company I came from, they have they got acquired by a big VC guy. Mm -hmm. um, and things change over there. And obviously the climate is different. Expectations different. But you're absolutely right. People, once you kind of put your name out there and you build this brand, you know, people want to gravitate towards you and want to make that acquisition, right? Or they want to add it to your portfolio because you have such a large footprint in an industry. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, what I've, from my understanding, there's been quite a few goes at it where people were interested in us, but you know, we've, we love what we do and what, we, what they've created. Right. And so it's hard to let that go knowing that you put in so much work, yeah. literally coming from ground zero. And I feel like that's every like entrepreneurship's like path, right? Their story. But given like where we're at in the unique space, it's like, why? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, if you're bringing in money and yeah. you need money. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all, and you know, the owners, they come in 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You might like, literally, I swear, like literally, <laughs> and every, maybe every other Saturday they're there too. Um, so they, they go for it and they're in the back packing orders once in a while. Like they really, truly enjoy what they do. Like just, it's always are all about it. Owners that like, the kind of owner that can't go on a permanent vacation. Yeah. Like th they just get bored by yeah. like retiring and then you see them like hustling and doing stuff. Yeah. Um, I've seen a few people now that got the exit and it, they last about six months pretending like they're going to be on permanent retirement. <laughs> and about six months in, like they've gone to Europe, like they go from Europe to Alaska. They're surfing every morning. Yeah. And then about six months in, you get a message and they're like, do you think this is a good idea? And it's like, oh, it's over. You're back. You're back in the game. <laughs> you like can't You stop. can't pull away from like the t-shirt world. Yeah. I hear so many stories about that. Like, dude, we're just selling t-shirts. You still really want to get back into the game? Yeah. But you're right. These guys, I mean, yeah, they're all, they're all in. I think that's like that waterfall effect, right? That you hear like whether you, like, you have a family or you have a grandfather, whatever it might be. But I think within our organization, you see them out there literally sweating like it, like Especially Cali, like the past week, it's been yeah. hot, right? You're not going to so air condition 200,000 square feet. Yeah, and like they're back there loading pallets, getting stuff ready. And yeah. dude, these guys are the owners of the company. So you see them working hard. It makes you want to like just do better. And like you you really get behind it and you rally behind it. And you really appreciate what, what they do and kind of what they, they set up the infrastructure within. Yeah. 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 So, so, so I mean, being... Oh, go ahead, Gavin. Yeah, so Jeremy, how, how long have you been with Bayside and how long have you been doing sales? I'm kind of curious about that. So Bayside, I've been in for a year. I've been in, in the supply chain t-shirt industry since like 2000. I started at All Style. Oh, AAA, okay. the stack, yeah. you know, yeah. the king of the streets, right? Everybody yeah. knows that's like the the one, right? Right there on what, 2701. 
what street I forgot what the street it was but um yeah back in Anaheim so I started there and then I moved on to Con Heritage the next level so I've been doing sales for about over a dozen years right but I recently joined Bayside about a year ago and uh, my past was interesting because I used to come from the footwear industry and I've, I worked and grew up in Orange County and so mm-hmm. I've been able to kind of network I'm 42 so I've been able to kind of network with like this interesting group of people from like the early 2000s when it was like the LRG days, the Stussy days. Well, Stussy's still relevant today. They're they're big, right? But kind of like the diamonds and of, of the hundreds of the world, that whole generational yeah. like streetwear, cool stuff, if you will. And then, or like Vans. And then all of a sudden it's like, what could I do to kind of still be engaged in that industry or with the friends that I've met through there? I was like, t-shirts. And so I switched my industry, joined the t-shirt world and here I am. It's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, we did some stuff with LRG in the past. And, yeah. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting about it is like watching those brands go from extremely hot to now kind of like the older brand. Yeah. Have you seen like a good path for managing that? Because it seems like even on a lower level, like you'll see a first screen printing shop. Let's say somebody just starts skyrocketing because they do a thousand units a month. Yeah. Um. But then like sustaining that coolness seems unbelievably difficult. Yeah. Um, what do you think is like kind of the secret? Like why do some brands last 30 years and others are just super hot for 18 months? You know, there's a brand out there and I won't name names, uh, but I know internally what they do is it, it, it could be shocking given like on the business standpoint, they pump the brakes on the amount of doors they open as far okay. as wholesalers that want to carry their product because they know like if this gets out like, like a wildfire, you can't tame it, then it's going to sizzle out pretty quickly, right? Yeah. So they allow themselves to be relevant, geez, for the last 40 years, right? And they're sustainable. But I think fast forward today with a lot of these brands, I think what what allows you to kind of be in the forefront still or still have some sort of edge to it, quite honestly, there's a lot of brands from the early 2K, 2005, 2010 era that are like, they're just dusted, if you will, or they're kind of on the decline big time. It's almost like you have to surround yourself generationally, but like, those next round of kids or cats that are just like super designer and mm-hmm. interested, super into like Instagram, social media, what they're doing on that platform, well-connected. It's, it allows you to kind of be relevant in that sense. And you can kind of spin off what you developed before into like something new, right? Because I think a lot of now, I, I have a conversation with a couple of my friends in the industry still, as you guys probably know too, like, dude, like all these Instagram direct-to-consumer brands, like online ceramics, I, that's one of many like hidden New York, but they're massive. They got a million plus followers, but guess what? When you try to reach out to them to like, hey, that's that's engaged on what blanks you're using, or for yourself, like you ever need a screen print shop to fulfill? What, yeah. what are your pain points? There's you don't know who to hit up. No, like do you send a DM? But guess what? That dude's probably getting like a thousand DMs with so many followers. Mm-hmm. It's very informal, so there's no like formal connection of like, oh, there you can find him in Huntington Beach at this address. No, it's like hard to connect with them. But man, those brands are the ones who are pushing it right now. Pushing yeah. it as far as volume, like a little hidden gem. And margin, psh, oh, I know. those guys could afford anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We did, um, a few years ago, we were doing like 1010, which was like a Logan Paul thing. Yeah. And um, he was selling limited edition uh, releases where he would just keep refilling with us over and over. Yeah. And um he was selling the Gildan uh, eighteen five hundred, which is like what, especially back then, it was like six bucks. Yeah, and it was an eighty dollar one color print, <laughs> and it was just like 
<laughs> when you have an audience, it doesn't matter how bad your product is sometimes, yeah, yeah. which is really frustrating, but um, that's just how it works sometimes. Yeah. If the audience is there, it's crazy the number. The audience there. is there, and you think, I think the consumer these days, the ones that are 18 to 25, mm -hmm. man, they're, they're culture vultures, right? They, they go for it. Like if yeah. it's rad and it's dope and it's cool, or it's that thing, it's that oversized shirt with the puff print that's that speaks their narrative or their story of like that look, they just buy it, dude. It's crazy. Like I'm so fascinated by like what it's become the last five years and how all these brands, even like antisocial, like five years ago, like just blew it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and in a very large way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, what do you think? Definitely there is kind of like a nineties trend in general. And like, what do you guys think about when you're creating blanks? um for like washes cut styles to, yeah. to kind of give them the streetwear that they are going to want to print on top of no we, you know it's funny you say that because we can move pretty quickly we can react to the market and go to like, go to market pretty quickly right because we literally knit die cut so everything right mm -hmm. so we take we we look at what's happening but like what's the longevity remember six years ago everybody wanted long scallop tees yeah that was a cool shirt but it was very unique to a specific person. Like yeah. you gotta be skinny, you gotta be tall because if you're too short, it's down to your knees or whatever, right? So it was hard to gauge. It was more of literally a style. I just looked like I was wearing like, <laughs> a pajama shirt. That's all. A nice was. shirt. Yeah, Closet. I had my pajama shirt on, walking around in public. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but now, like I was on the way in, I was just thinking like how this. I don't even want to say oversized shirt, like this relaxed tee. Yeah. It, it's going to be around for a very long time in the sense of it's, it's going to be the new norm. Yeah. Like in a sense of like, it's not baggy. It's not style. It's just a very comfortable shirt, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really distinguished by being long or down to It's just a very comfortable shirt. So I think a lot of dudes and like collegiate kids, they're going to wear that throughout. So for us, when we look at cues like that, we understand like we're not really developing a new style. Like what's something people want to wear? Like the level of comfort. Are we going to use a 20 singles? Is it going to be comb? Is it going to be an enzyme wash? Whatever it might be, right? It's like, how do we create something people want to wear that's very comfortable? And so that's kind of how our path we develop as far as like moving forward as far as styling of it, right? So we did that heavyweight t-shirt, the ultimate tee, which has been very, very well received. And then we did a couple like women's sweatshirts that's a little bit oversized. It's kind of have like Everlane vibe, Jockmas vibe, where it's like, it's cool. But man, it's very structurally, casually, like a classic looking garment, but maybe just a little bit oversized waistband, but yeah. those subtle cues make it like distinguishable from like other things. So, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Hey, hey, Jeremy. So as a sales professional, um, I'm curious, like when I think about it, I'm thinking people just go and buy a shirt from a website or from a web page. Uh, I'm not criticizing your role, by the way. I'm just more curious like what's your day-to-day -day job what what you, what is it that you do like what's clientele do you go after what does that look like yeah i mean kind of the peek behind the curtain right like what do you guys do on a sales role like there's yeah. everybody buys t-shirts how do you like manifest like your next sale or try to grab like a new you know what it is you're always going to have your core screen printers right you know that is the bread and butter that's what makes our industry that the t-shirt guy and the screen printer are like tied to the hip like goes hand in hand yeah. like we got to work collaborative like to bring business together right but how do you do it you find pay points or hey this might be a great fit because you got dtg and we could do something together where i know a guy who needs dtg guy connect with you but you also do fulfillment that's an added bonus and he'll he'll just give you all the business so for me it's like connecting dots right 
like I look at the landscape of like, okay, I segregate it by like, here's my outdoor brands, my street brands, my screen printers, then all of a sudden direct to consumer guys, right? And like, what's that one thing they have in common? It's just like, they all want t-shirts. So my day-to-day is really, honestly, it's, uh, it's connecting dots. Like, how do you find out like what shirt that guy is using through what printer? And then maybe I could work with a printer finding them a better garment at a better value or what, or, or solve what that pain point is. So you could probably capture more business outside of like that one shirt, right? What could we do different? Maybe not so much like we're going to replace an, an existing garment you're printing with, but it's more like, how could we add on to that? Yeah. So you get more stuff to print and that's our parlay. That's how we kind of slide our way in there. So honestly, day to day, it's like you just go and it's hard to gauge. Cause like after this meeting, I'm going to, to Vernon, the, uh, yeah, the armpit of LA, but it's, uh, they want to do a, like a custom private label shirt. So I got to present all my fabrics. Right. But then it, it, it's fast. It's fine. I'm stumbling because man, there's just so much out there. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of engagement, man. So DMs, you, LinkedIn, the whole thing. So, I mean, how do you manage that? I, I mean, it's, there's not like a CRM for Instagram. Like how are you managing it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like yeah. Managing no. your priorities, managing your sales, uh, remembering to even follow up. Like, yeah. I'm always amazed by you guys because you like, whether or not I even buy blanks, I'm clearly on some sort of like calendar where yeah. it's like, okay, well, we're just going to see him in three months yeah. regardless of what's going on and whatever. Yeah. Um, so there must be some structure to it. No, there is, you know, with our CRM, what we do is like we segregate it by categories, whether it be retail opportunity, private label, like I mentioned kind of earlier with, or different categories within brands, right? Outdoor brand or street brand or whatever, or surf brand. Mm-hmm. So with our, within our CRM, there are certain touches we want to be able to have access to, right? We know like, okay, because once you're locked into a program with some of these existing guys, you're not going to be able to break through unless you come with something different or unique, mm-hmm. a unique selling point of like what they might need that they never thought of. So you almost have to mm-hmm. wear their hat. Um, so the way we manage it is that we have an internal structure of, of, of five inside sales reps. Each one is divided up and manages certain segments of the business, right? So it kind of allows them to give you that white glove service or that level of expertise because they truly understand that industry. So it allows us to speak more eloquently and literally on just on their level, like a level of understanding and not really like showing them these 10 other garments where they really don't need, but they're really focused on these other dozen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with that being said, these, these inside sales reps, their focus is on different industries and it allows them to manage their book of business, like their own little Rolodex of how they want to manage their day-to-day and how many touches they want to get. So it allows us as an entire company at the end of each week, we kind of go do a quick overview of like the level of engagement, the level of interest and what next steps would be. And quite often there's some guys that when you ask them, hey, have you ever considered USA? They, they're like, no, you know, I have, you know, we're not here to like replace that amazing Honduras shirt you have that's been working well for you the last five years, but given your other competitors and blah, 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 have launched another category with only like three, four shirts, would you be interested in doing something like that allow you to like drive new revenue? Mm-hmm. And that really allows to open their eyes. So yeah, at the end of the week, we, we do a lot of touches, a lot of catch up, very specific categories, each, each account manager manages and it allows them to be, you know, speak upon that in a very high intelligent way. And when you get those, that pushback about American made and maybe price, what mm-hmm. is kind of the the main pitch? I mean, it seems like everyone wants American made until they have to pay $2 more. Yeah. So how do you normally address that? You know, it's funny, about 15, 20 minutes ago when we first launched, you know, the outside looking in, is like looking at our brand, like 
oh, you guys are USMA. You guys are just really just a basic T-shirt mm-hmm. and 3M guys and best guys, which is great, right? We're fine because we're really happy with what we do and we've, we've developed something really unique in the last 30 years. Honestly, my breakthrough is like, is exactly what you just said. We're not the most forward branding marketing agency that does a great, you know, like marketing feel or post on social media. We're kind of like these silent partners who do really nice t-shirts. Yeah. So don't anticipate us to have pricing that where a lot of suppliers now are really great at marketing. have been able to capture that market on a, on a broader scale because they touch so many people. But guess what? With that marketing dollar spent in that position of where they want to be, they're going to sell a five, $6 shirt, right? Given that when I say five, six, like through like SNS or Alpha or a distributor, right. right? It could be a tri-blend or like a comb cotton. Our shirts are pretty much the same price. Yeah. And so like, hey, our starting point, and guess what? It's the same as that, that favorite shirt you have that's coming out of Nicaragua or whatever in Central America. But ours is just made in USA, mm-hmm. right? And so once they understand that, they were like, oh, you're right. Yeah, here, I'll, I'll show you the pricing. Let me know what you might pay for that shirt that you buy. Like, okay, then once they kind of break through that barrier of love them understanding like, where our starting point is, it allows them to kind of like structurally like position how they want to do the full package. Our shirt versus that shirt, but here's other pros using a USA shirt. And guess what? It's up to 57 free off Imperial Highway. If you want to take a look at it, you could, you could cruise up, right? Yeah. So. Well, and not only that, but like we just ran a bunch of um, union shirts from you guys. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it's amazing. Like if they're a union shop or a union business, the amount people will pay for union is crazy. Yeah. And so tell me like in your structure, if you have American made factory workers, but then you have union only shirts, what is the difference? And like, what's the lifestyle of that union workers uh, like versus just your normal American worker? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you paying for other than that tag? To be quite frank, it's where it's being sewn. Okay. So at the end of the day, we're doing all of our fabric down in, Job like that way. I always say by the Tesla SpaceX building off the 105. Yeah. So all of our fabrics coming from there. It's die house as well. Then we we sew and assemble in Brea. So we do two things. After we do all that, we can either cut and sew it in Brea, which is our main headquarters, or we cut it in Brea. Then we could have it get sewn at a union shop. We actually have a third fold, which is brand new. Well, it's kind of brand new, but we just kind of don't really push it that much. We have a factory down in down in Baja. There's like Mexican garments that will compete like an amazing like Bella shirt or an amazing like silver shirt. That whole category. But in regards to your union question, it's the same fabric in the same shirt. Okay. So we would mimic like, like, i.e. like our 5100, which is a six ounce open end, really tight, like a really nice shirt, right? Um, but people just want that shirt as a union shirt. So it would be sewn in a union factory. And is the union factory owned by you still? Or is that maybe a third party? That's through a third party, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So uh, like with those union contracts, is that, do you feel like the qualities? actually better with it or i mean it's hard to gauge because our quality the usa one we do ourselves if you want to call it that yeah they're both equally the same mm-hmm. then i don't really see that much of a difference to be quite honest it's you know the, the reason they want it is because the people who are policies. behind it is, is the people behind it is also union yeah and the people teamsters buying it the local all those guys it's almost like they want their their guys involved yeah and in part of and part of that step right so and there's also union screen print shops there's not many but there are, there's a big one in Oakland, there's a big one in Canoga Park. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they want it to go all the way through to that point. And that's when it's going to cost them cheese. You could imagine. Like, <laughs> we, Honestly, I'm hearing a, like a one color, 144 piece, one location. It's like six and a quarter. Nice. Crazy, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, well, I mean, I, I mean, it's good. Like you always want labor to get like what they're worth, but it, yeah, especially when California already has kind of like high minimums to begin with. You just wonder, like, what makes a, a union shop even better than just a well-run Orange yeah. County shop? Or yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, you got to realize they're all using the same, like, there's no new equipment like M1R launches. It's just an auto. Just this yeah. new, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's just another M1R 12-color station. Yeah. Whatever it is, right? So, welcome to the anti-union show. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's cool. So, uh, moving on from that, like, tell me a little bit about like the dyeing process because you always hear these other brands talk about how they're unbelievably eco-friendly um, in like the dyeing process and they waste less water, but a lot of them don't even do it in the states. Mm-hmm. So, what's kind of the differentiator there? Trying to actually do it stateside. I know we have a lot more regulations to begin with yeah. before you even try to like you know limit your own output. Yeah. So, I don't know, first of all, I don't know if not many people know about. Five, six years ago when American Apparel was going up for sale. Yeah. Right. Gildan bought the name. We, mm-hmm. we were the guys who bought all the factories. They didn't factor their die house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bought most of them. Some of them were just kind of. Too bad. T- yeah. Ran down to shambles of fuel. So the one we did acquire is the biggest one, which is down by that space. Like in Hawthorne, actually. I just remembered. Um, so we completely rebooted that thing. Took almost like a year and a half to get that up and running to where it needs to be. As far as being compliant with the city. Mm-hmm literally the whole thing. So with, with your question being asked, we, yeah, we, we recycle everything, recycle our steam. It's all compliant through the city, the county, the state, et cetera. And a lot of that, their, their regulation behind that is, is extremely strange, as you can imagine, because where's that water going, right? Yeah. And I'll be quite frank, I'm not in too deep understanding that whole process as far as like that side of our story or that side of our business. But I do know on the surface level, if you want to call it, is that we do recycle our steam. There's a lot of process and regulations that we're very compliant with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that it's, I, for most people, when they hear the pitch from any brand, yeah. you know, a name of like the, the seven big brands, it, they always just start saying certifications to you. Yeah. And they're just acronyms that don't really mean anything. So yeah. It's, it's interesting to see like what that looks like in practice. Yeah. Um, where do you guys get all your cotton from? So all of our cotton comes from the Carolinas. Yeah. We do all of it through Parkdale. Okay. So as far as certification, yeah, you can certify that. Yeah. Um, cotton from the Carolinas, knit die cut sale here in, in Southern California. And then for the cotton, does it, have you guys messed with any of the organic side of it or is that just never you know really what? paid off? We've been, we've been messaged quite honestly, actually a lot Yeah. Uh, about organics and things like that. The thing is of our volume, what we're trying to do to make it work internally is that our supply chain for USA organics is very limited. Mm-hmm. So if we even try to dabble in that world, the fluctuation of availability changes because quite honestly, there's not a lot of USA organic available. Yeah. And if we're the leaders in that space, we need a supply chain that can support that, right? Otherwise we're just gonna flat, you know, just they'll just run out of stock. Yeah, run out of stock and we're yeah. just gonna we're gonna come up with a big bang and all of a sudden it goes flat. Mm-hmm. All these empty promises that we have to such large retailers or brands or that we're trying to pitch it to, it's like we just ran into the wall, you know? Yeah. So it, it's been kind of a thing that we've always wanted to explore, but quite frankly, it's just not really there. What about some of the products like Reprieve where it's the recycled polyester threads? So that one, we were looking at that recycled polyester recently. Mm-hmm. Um, costing given USA and where the industry is at right now, what they're asking for. And especially what a lot of other people are doing as far as importing that in with with blending it with imported yarns or imported fabric with the reprieve, we're not going to be competitive. It's going to be 
beyond the reach. We're looking at nine, ten dollars a shirt. Ugh. Yeah. yeah, and that's like on a thirty singles basic, yeah, soft shirt, right? Or something like. How do you how do you turn to that? So. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. How the cost really like yeah. starts to affect it all. And guess what? That guy who's importing a, a very like minded shirt and a great shirt. Five fifty. Yeah. Like, well, what do you do? You know. Not so, to mention his cost on it is so much lower than five fifty. Yeah. So, yeah. And so you're just kind of like in this spot where like is the demand really that high and are they ready for like a ten dollar shirt? I mean, I don't know. Tell us a little bit about the sewers because. Um, I mean, even just our minimum wage is like fifteen fifty or something in yeah. California. Yeah, um, I'm sure your sewers make a little bit more than that. Tell us about that compared to like a Honduras like sewer. Like, what is the quality of life there? No, the quality of life is fantastic in a sense of like a lot of stuff that we offer within the sewing that are in our factory, our factory associates and the team that we have there. Whether it's to the front of the house or the back of the house, it's like a restaurant, the front of the house, the back of the house, yeah, the whole thing, right? Everybody's equally engaged, equally opportunity, right? So as far as like really cool things where we have like a floating holiday, you could take a floating holiday anytime you want. As far as like our pay salary, from my understanding, there's a few people and people in our line, they're making $65,000, $70,000 a year. Oh, wow. Like, it, like, do you pay like a per piece plus a minimum or something? How that that I'm not, I'm not sure how okay. that works. I think they're all just somewhere on hourly, somewhere on salary. Yeah. And we employ almost about 800 people. On the line or total? Oh, total. I'm sorry. Within okay. within the entire company from the die house, yeah. the whole the whole deal. And um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But um, geez, where I was going? That they get paid well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, they get they get paid very well. Yeah. And as far as the the environment that we create, it's uh, people. What I was saying is like about fifteen or twenty percent of our staff, which is about what two hundred people. They've been over there for over 15 years. Wow. Like, so it's just like, a they, they know like, this is where, this is where it's at. And you see it coming from the ownership as well. Tumar told you he's in the back there as well, loading pallets, things like that. There's a lot of perks that they give that are outside of like non-business related where we go on like team outings to a Clippers game or a Lakers game. They rent multiple boxes, a lot of random team dinners. Uh, every other Friday, we have a barbecue. So there's a lot of fun environmental things that we do to really keep that spirit moving forward. Yeah. Um, and then you start seeing a lot of like, people generationally, like we had like a mom and father, their son started to work there because they got promoted into like a supervisor management level and they wanted their son to work there as well too. So like we were seeing a lot of people start bringing on board in their families as well too, which is kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah. So... Uh, being in the East Coast, I mean, I've seen you guys at the trade show. I've seen some of you guys' booth. I didn't see a big pre. I, well, I didn't see a big present for Bayside in the East Coast. Was that intentionally, or are you guys mainly West Coast uh, focus? Uh, what's what's up with that? So on the East Coast, the thing is, man, there's a lot of shows, like a yeah. lot of trade shows. The previous company I worked that we did 55 shows. Yeah, that was our marketing. Boots on the ground, classic, shake hands, kiss the baby. And it, it worked for a while. And all of a sudden, here comes like 2015 or whatever, like 2000s. Marketing's changed, right? Digital content curators, things like that. And so for us, like we got to choose, right? We do all the GPX shows. There's a couple out there in the East Coast. One's in uh, Baltimore and one's in, in the Carolinas in Charlotte. Um, but to answer your question... We don't do that much East Coast shows. There's not a lot of big active shows that makes us feel like, 
okay, let's invest in that show. Mm-hmm. And honestly, these shows, like even like the smaller mid-tier shows, just to get a booth, like 15 grand. Yeah. Then you're all in with Fly Hotel, like 25 grand for yeah. just two and a half days, right? And so strategically, we're just trying to find like what makes our mark back east that's very big as what has been going on in, in the Chicago's, Dallas, and the LA area, where you know that return is like a lot of foot traffic, right? Right. Um, so it's just, we haven't really found the right show that really felt like it would be impactful for us to, to do. Outside yeah. of we do a lot of open houses with SNS or Alpha Broder, which are back east, and the GPX show, which is kind of like Virginia, Carolina, not really northeast. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at. How about customer bases? Like customer base are they predominantly West coast folks or are they in the East coast as well? You know, that's a good question. We get a lot of people. We see our pockets are from Baltimore, Texas. I'm just thinking right now, like the Wisconsin, Chicago area, Minnesota area, and then the Mm -hmm. West. Um, but everything in between, like when you get into the Utahs, the Floridas, the Georgias, or the Kentuckys, or Pacific Northwest, not that strong as far as like a USC demographic. But even within those pockets I mentioned, we have one or two two major guys that really push that push that box. Mm-hmm. But those are kind of the pockets where we see a lot of activity for USA requests. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of the trade shows, um, we're all flying out to the to the Fort Worth one like next week. Yeah. What do you look for to get out of a trade show so that you don't just end up wasting three days? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a mixture of things. Um, Cause I mentioned Texas is also one of the spots. We like to invite a lot of our customers that we're able to see. Cause uh, right now, right, right now, as far as Bayside, there's only two outside reps. Mm-hmm. It's not Aaron and I, and we're the only ones that are able to like get access outside of our internal team calling and touching. It's different when you obviously visit and do stuff like this, right? We invite people to our booth. We do meetings at the booth. We just hope we're able to really just kind of tell our story of seeing what USA options are out there. And you'll be surprised. A lot of people, yeah, I got a guy who buys USA once in a while. They're asking for it. Our goal is just really, is really just to kind of get our name out there in a sense of like reminding people we're the USA guy. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, sometimes when you go on some of these websites, if you type USA, oddly enough, we're, we're not the first ones to be popped up you're going to find Gildan. Like, what the heck? How would they, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think there are, so it's there almost are like, those random ones. Yeah. It's like Hanes made in USA tea. Yeah. And it's one specific tea and the stock's terrible. Yeah. And they, they, they all seem to have at least one option. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. It's our, 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 our idea is really kind of like a friendly reminder. Invite some of our customers to do with that we're already doing business with. Mm-hmm. And really also it allows us arrive a day before, leave a day later to go visit our customers in that area too, which is kind of always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Not actually kind of, it's always fun. I like, I like doing that. Is there anything happening Friday night? Me and Gavin have to, <laughs> we have to get busy. I, I nothing, nothing Friday night. I was thinking about, I was like, it's normally Saturday nights. Though. Yeah. Yeah. There was that one spot down in Fort Worth where, where all the cattle, uh, it's a, it's a, like a historic spot. Are you familiar with Fort Worth? Or? I've been once cause I went and saw Maid Labs. Yeah, okay. But I basically went to Maid Labs and left. Okay. Um, but yeah, they have some sort of... Stockyard, that's what it's yeah. called. Yeah, yeah, Stockyard just popped up. I'm sure that they're, especially like the Rock guys or something are probably yeah. doing something, but um, they seem to do that every show. Yeah. There's like something on Saturday night that they do a big yeah. blowout. And ISIS is always a good show. I feel like they always have a really good draw, like a blended mix of like mm. 
incoming newbies to the industry who are really trying to understand and dive in, but respectfully, they're able to pull away shop owners like yourself, like typically who wouldn't want to leave one on Wednesday or Thursday because, hey, it's a great show. There's yeah. a lot of things, new things I could go view and see. So uh, yeah, I've always liked going to ISS a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when this comes out, but we're going to be doing um, a class mm-hmm. Friday morning. Yeah. So okay. That'll be me and Gavin's reason for going to this at the convention. Event. Yeah, at the convention. You guys, there. You guys have like a hall where they like, hey, you're blah blah blah, blah like masterclass type thing. Yeah, Gavin, tell them our masterclass. Yeah, if you're gonna be at the trade show, come to our class. Simple systems and AI tools to help modernize your screen printing shop. Mm-hmm. So we'll show shops how they could organize their business, simplify it, uh, create systems and processes. A lot of the things that a lot of screen printing shop owners struggle with, because, you know, we all creatives, we get into this with a lot of passion, but a lot of us struggle with the business side of things. All right. So this class is really to help sharpen up that tool. And also Cole is, uh, this is not just going to be theories, because I know a lot of the class that people go to, they hear like theories and these things that you should be doing. And this class, we're going to, it's a different approach where we'll show you actual example Cole has run his business for 10 years, uh, over close to a decade. I ran a screen printing shop for seven years. Mm-hmm. So all of these experiences we'll share with um, the people that attend this class. Should be a fun. Should be fun. Yeah, my plan for my section is to uh, literally just go through an entire life of a order. Right. So that entire workflow, including like the different integrations I have with all the different software, will just be shown step by step. And the idea isn't that I have like the perfect process, but hopefully it gives people ideas where they're like, oh, I've never used that tool before. Mm-hmm. And I want to implement that specific tool um, the way that Cole's doing yeah. it, or in a way similar to what I'm doing. Because um, I see so many people where like they buy Printavo and they they're just done. Like that's their entire process yeah. for their print shop. Um, and then a lot of times they're not even using most of the tools that are inside of Printavo. So just to give people some more ideas, that's kind of uh-huh. the general goal. That's cool. Yeah. I, I still clone to like shops today. Classic. Just, yeah. You see all the, this week's work on the, on the, on the mood board or yeah, post, post-it note magnets. Like I, it works, but it doesn't work. That was the, there's going to be, the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The first shop I worked in, we did wet erase magnets. Yeah. And so someone would place an order. You would get a big manila envelope put the invoice in it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. If they gave you like, sometimes we'd just like put a USB thumb drive in it. With, oh like, my God. Here's the artwork. That's the art. And then it was a magnet and heaven forbid someone didn't put that folder in order uh-huh. because we had shelves like floor to ceiling shelves yeah. of all these orders from like probably 1988. And it was just wow. a nightmare. And then the films would get put in them. And then you would, if you had a consistent client, uh-huh. you would have 37 pieces of film in there. Because it's like every job from all their stuff keep getting yeah. added to these folders. The folders get ratty and worse. And it was a nightmare back then. I don't know how you could be doing that now, but I'm sure some people do. I know some people still are on film just in general because yeah. they haven't gone to computer to screen. So uh-huh. just organizing your films is still a nightmare, I guess. Man, I feel like it's like they keep going through your garage. And you're like, dude, should I clean the garage this weekend? I don't yeah. know what I'm going to uncover. <laughs> like, know. All of a sudden you go down this rabbit hole like, oh, crap. The best thing about us buying that computer to screen was throwing away our films because we had, yeah. I don't even know. I mean, we probably had 10,000 pieces of film. Wow. And we were always like resorting and oh, uh-huh. maybe we should go by customer name. Maybe we should go by invoice number. Maybe yeah. we 
none of it is a good answer. Yeah. And then you're just like, one day you're like, you know what? Let's just throw it away. It was like the most freeing experience to get rid of all this old art that was basically worthless to anyone else. Uh So, yeah, it's pretty fun. That's cool. So um, anything you want to specifically plug for Bayside before we wrap it up? Any any new products coming down the pike for fall? You know, we got stuff coming out for next year that we're kind of finalizing right now. But I think the biggest thing I felt like people want to walk away from, like this really cool podcast. I definitely appreciate you guys having me on board. Yeah, thanks. It's really just the USA option, really. Like, yeah. we just say, hey, have you guys ever considered that? Because honestly, when, once we ask that question and that customer poses it on their customer, if you will, they realize, oh, wow, actually there is. I never, I never really just asked that question, right? Given it's not going to be all of a sudden, here's a 10,000 piece order. But you just start something. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you're given an opportunity and you ask the right questions without being too invasive, it might open up new opportunities for them to kind of like open their eyes. But like, I never thought about that. That's really cool because here I am now, five years later, I'm getting some pretty solid orders on USA. Mm-hmm. And that's now I'm kind of becoming like that USA guy to go to as far as like screen printing things or questions about it. So yeah, yeah that's kind of it. It's a great niche to go into for people that yeah. are already serving you know, roofers and stuff. If you just give them that option, there's a lot, they man. Like it. You realize that outdoor company, like we go to outdoor retailer, Bass Pro, Bass Pro Shops. We do a lot of shirts for them, Cabela's. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating, man. We do a big Costco program it's called the Flag Tea, but um, you'll be surprised how many people use it. And it, it, chances are, if there's another USA shirt out there, they're probably using our fabricas. We do a lot of that stuff for uh, contract work too. So yeah, yeah. Jeremy, help me with this. So I'm I'm going through this right now. So setting up like a sales department for a small business, right? Obviously, you work in a bigger business. Yeah. And you came in like you were one of the leaders as a sales professional. Like to you, what are the foundation or what are the steps to take to build a sales organization? When you say organization, like a, like a team in yeah, a sense? Small, yeah, small, let's say a small team of one to two guys. You know what the biggest thing that I would say is clarity. Because in this world, there's any industry in a sense, you, you could kind of get sidetracked because there's opportunities everywhere. You're just thinking like, how do we focus right. on like one thing and be great at it? And I think clarity of understanding like what their, their goals are in a sense or what they should be focusing on and that's why we kind of divided up into different segments where they just become like the pros pro. Like, wow, I didn't know about that. Well, yeah, I, I deal with blah, 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 blah. Okay, I didn't know that. So I think honestly, to answer your question, it's clarity and an understanding of like what their roles are and what, what they're going to, what, what, what are they going to, like basically just when they get to the office, like they know exactly what they're going to bring to the table and they become passionate about it because all of a sudden it's not diluted and they get lost in a shuffle of like, uh, there's no direction or what are we doing? But when they know they have a direction, a purpose, they just go, man. Yeah. yeah. What, what are you yeah. looking for as far as like metrics? What are, what are some of the things that. We look at a lot, honestly for us, like on a day to day or weekly, we look at a, our touches, right? Cause I know all these guys, the background, they all could speak very well. I don't want to say they're all like bros, but they just, they're, they're the guys that are very jolly. They could just chat it up without feel like you're selling them a product. I kind of like what we're doing today. Right. So I know as far as like the content or what the, or what type of conversation happening, I'm not really curious about that. Cause I know what they're capable of. It's just more like, mm-hmm. Hey, how many people did you call it? You call it. Oh, that's, that's cool. Anything cool from it? Yeah. I met this guy. He prints for a blah, blah, blah. No way. I was like, I actually was trying to reach that guy through another 
avenue like a month ago. I'm like crazy if stumbled across your table. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of it. Very nice. Yeah, I have a hard time with reaching out to people like yeah. cold like that. Yeah. It's a whole skill set to be able to like not just be a spam caller. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, what do you think that is like to not just feel like you're pestering people? I think, you know why? We don't have a playbook. Yeah. Like we have a guy, Francis, inside. This guy has like that radio DJ voice. Like this guy's yeah. smoother, <laughs> man. It's like, dude, you should be on a DJ or something. Like, you should be like, you shouldn't be here. You should be like, like hosting like a, a show or something. But anyways, yeah. he's like, hey, how you doing, boss? You're just like, you know, I'm just, I'm here. You, you came up on my list. I want to give you a call, blah, blah, blah. You know, just reminding you that we're Bayside, we fell in love, we're the biggest manager. If you ever need an option, like, oh, yeah. Then, then they kind of like, we do use you. And it's very inviting, right? Yeah. Um, so for them, it's kind of like they get to be themselves. They're not really going on this like script. And they have like the hook. You know, it's just, what's up? They, you're on the phone 30 seconds or you could be on the phone for 20 minutes. Yeah. It depends how long the customer wants to talk, right? But sometimes I see them on the phone for like pretty long time, given like it's like, I don't want to say a cold call, but it's just like, hey, we haven't spoke to you like in a year or whatever. And like they want to talk to Francis or they want to talk to Roberta, whoever it is, right? It's like, it's cool to see that because it knows that our team is that inviting mm -hmm. and they get it and they're not really trying to push a sale. Very cool. Yeah. All righty. Well, thanks yeah. again for all your time. I know we've got, we're pretty much out of time. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. If anyone wants to reach out to you directly, what's the the email or the... Yeah. If uh, if you have any questions, it's just Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y at ASTsportswear.com. You might get thrown off AST Sportswear. That's our parent company that, that owns Bayside and the whole conglomerate. So Jeremy at ASTsportswear.com. Perfect. Well, thanks yeah. so much. And thanks to everyone listening. Uh, like, subscribe, and tell your mom about us. All right. Bye. Thanks, y'all.